Good morning. It is indeed good to be home, at least for the day. We are living down in the Houston area and uh, working with the churches down there. Specifically, I'm at a church in Pasadena, Baywood Church of Christ. And we've been doing work there for well, quite a number of years, long enough for my wife to graduate from Texas A&M Galveston as a marine biologist. She's a sea Aggie. And yes, they do get to wear the ring, by the way. And so does the Qatar, but I hadn't figured that one out yet. We uh, want to thank you very much for having us here and for supporting our work down there. Uh, the years have been kind of interesting. We've lost some support, and I've had to go work as a nurse uh, full-time in order to support us, but with that comes a long day because I have probably six studies going right now with more on the road. I just got a counseling call last night from, where's that, Montana the other night. So we're doing Zoom counseling and all kinds of stuff. COVID has really opened up Zoom for me and a lot of the things that I do. And uh, we're even studying with folks in Oregon from our Oregon work, which we just got back from. Uh, there's a new family moving into Grants Pass, which will be very good for the church there. They lost their main uh, person there and lost a family after his death. And uh, they're really struggling right now. Uh, but uh, we've got a family moving in, possibly two. Eugene is doing very well. We had our best attendance there in a long time, and they're picking up a couple of new people. Their young people are stepping up to the plate, and we had a really really good meeting there. Um, with COVID, we cut it down to a half week or a week meeting in Eugene, half week in, in uh, Grants Pass, but overall uh, the two weeks was very well spent and we thank you for your support in that work and other works that we might attend. In our reading this morning, you have up on the board a reading in Matthew, the 17th chapter, the first eight verses. And in this tells a story about James and John and Peter and Jesus. Now, they had all been together with all the other disciples, but Jesus took these three and called them up onto a mountain, and they followed him up this mountain. When they got to the top of this mountain, it says while they were watching him, he says his raiments began to glow as bright as light. And when they opened their eyes, they saw standing with him Moses and Abraham. And Jesus had been transfigured. This is the Mount of Transfiguration or the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. They were scared, nervous, and excited all at the same time. They didn't know what to think about it. As they were watching, there was a voice came out of heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And when they heard that, they were terrified. And they hit the dirt. Jesus came and put his hand on them and said, Don't be afraid, it's okay. When they looked up, it was just him. And they said, Lord, it was good for us to be here. Let's, let's build a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, one for Abraham, so that everybody may know. And Jesus said, There's a whole lot more going on than you understand. I want you to look at this story from the viewpoint of who you think you are and who you want to be. The Lord was really good about calling us out of our comfort zone. And don't you know, those three 
were way out of their comfort zone. The other guys stayed down at the base of the mountain. I could just imagine them thinking, whew, I'm glad I didn't have to climb that thing. <laughs> That's a long way up. Why is he going up there for? I think I'll just sit down here and take a nap, <laughs> get a little rest. The other three followed him up. My point is, is that Jesus is good at finding out who wants to follow him and who pretends to follow him. Who desires to follow him and really get to know him versus, well, they want to think about it a little bit or they want to dabble at it. These three decided they're going to follow him up that mountain. And they did. You know, the writer in Daniel, and I'm hoping I get this, that says it's supposed to be moving. Oh, no, somehow I clicked it to mouse, and he just told me not to do that. There you go. Daniel 11, verse 32, says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And yes, that is the word in just about every version I look. Exploits, meaning great deeds. Those that really believe in God are going to do something great. I don't know what that great is. The Bible does not tell us what the great or the exploits are. But I will guarantee you this. When you truly believe in God, Jesus is going to call you to get out of your comfort zone. Now, up on the board you have a comfort zone of where I think my comfort zone is and where I think I could get it to be. Have you ever stood next to somebody talking to them? I don't know, just anybody. And they come right up here and they get right up here and they want to talk to you real close. And what do you automatically do? You start backing up, don't you? I've got my personal space. And when you get inside this personal space, I'm like, okay, you're close enough. That's my comfort zone right there. For some people, it's a little further away. <laughs> we all have our comfort zone. You know, there's things at the hospital as a nurse that I like to do that I'm comfortable doing every day, day in and day out. And there's other things they want me to do, and I'm saying, do what, huh? I have no clue what you're talking about, and I have to go learn it. And I'm very uncomfortable until I've actually made myself do it a few times, and I find out it's not so bad. But Jesus says, where you think you could be is only part of where I want to take you. I want you to climb a mountain with me. I want you to see something and experience something that is so profound, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your thinking. It's going to change the way that you interact with people. I want real believers, not just pretenders. And so this lesson this morning kind of talks along those lines. We all have our comfort zone. And you know, people who came to Jesus weren't always comfortable with what he said. He stretched them out of their comfort zone. You remember this guy? The rich young ruler in Matthew, the 19th chapter? We call him the rich young ruler because you read it in Matthew and Luke and a little bit in Mark. You find out that this guy was young. He was a ruler of lands and he was very well-to-do. And he came up and he said, Lord... What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, follow the commandments. And he started listing them off. 
including honor your father and mother. <laughs> he said, these things I've done since my youth, what do I lack? And Jesus looked at him and had compassion. So he said, one thing you're lacking, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. It says the rich young ruler went away very sad because he had great possessions. And Jesus begins a discourse on how hard it is to give up the worldly goods to follow him. Now, is Jesus asking us to give up all of our worldly goods and follow him? I want you to think about that story as we look at this next guy because I don't think that's what he's talking about. There was a bunch of disciples who were following Jesus, and Jesus was knowing his, it was getting time. I mean, it was getting close. And so he begins talking about cannibalism. He says, you can't be my disciple unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, what are you talking about? What kind of saying is this? This is hard, what? I'm not doing that. He says, then you can't be my disciple. No, you can't follow with me unless you're willing to do that. He was talking about something so profound, it was going to change their entire life. All they could think of was, I am not biting into this dude. Right? He says, and a bunch of them stopped following him after that. They were not prepared to go where Jesus wanted to take them. And Jesus, being frustrated, turned to the other apostles and said, are you going to follow, you're going to leave me also? And they said, but who do we go? You have the words of life. We're sticking right here. I may not understand it, but I'm not going anywhere. You might say he kind of called the herd. And then there were these guys. They really had an uncomfortable time with Jesus. You know, every time there was a confrontation between Jesus and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those chief rulers of the, the religious Jewish sects, they came away scratching their head. They didn't understand. He had been talking to the people and the people were really following after Jesus. They were really interested in what Jesus had to say. And the more they listened, the more they thought of him as something more than just a rabbi, which was a teacher of the law. He was a guy that, well, he talked like he knew what he was talking about. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they got together and said, you know, we've got a problem. We've got a real problem. We can't do anything about it now because if we do, the people are going to rear up, they're going to kill all of us, and you know, there'll be a, a giant overthrow. We're, we can't have that. But we can't let this go on. says from that point forward they began plotting how to kill him they said better one man die than to watch the whole nation burn that was their reasoning he was gaining a following and they were very uncomfortable with that they were very uncomfortable with following anybody like that and so we find that even though they had their thinking and what they were comfortable with when Jesus came he began to change all of that. Maybe he's pushed you out of your comfort zone. Maybe he's made you think a little bit about, well, I don't know. Being in this congregation, when I first got started at evangelism, I want you to know that when I first got here as an evangelist, I was 
very much out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I sat down with a bunch of your deacons before they were deacons and some of your deacons and the elders before they were, and your elders. And, you know, we had to work out how we were going to do the work and what we were going to do. And I was very uncomfortable about the whole thing because it was something new. It was something different. Tim helped guide me through and Gerald. And, and then you had all the, the other support from the deacons. And, you know, I really learned a lot while I was here. Because of that, I'm no longer uncomfortable about doing the work that God has called us to do. How about you? Have you been uncomfortable in your Christianity? There was one writer wrote, if we were all to be put on trial, on trial for Christianity, and for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's something. You know what the worst thing I want to hear at work is? You're a Christian? Really? I never would have guessed. Jesus calls us to be out of our comfort zone, and sometimes that means that we are different from everybody else. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. You know, this morning in our text, and I want you to turn to Philippians, the third chapter, and I want to pick up before verse 10 a little bit. In Philippians chapter 3, Y'all have to forgive me. I have to put on... Yes. I'm getting old, Sean. It's come to that point where we have to have a little assistance. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 7 through verse 11, it says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, there's, we're going to talk about that resurrection this afternoon. And if you're here, you'll hopefully get to understand about being conformed in His resurrection. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means in this life today. But as we look at these verses, verses 10 through 11, I want you to know that the writing here is talking about change, about being different, about being part of a power that maybe you haven't even realized you need to tap into. It talks about us being participants in His resurrection, in His suffering, in His death. So He kind of comes at it from reverse angle. I want to start from death. I want to look at how do we propose, or propose to be a, a participant in His death. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11 explains what this is talking about. He says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good, some, good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. 
For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, people want to experience the power of the resurrection, the power of salvation. In fact, that's why most of us came to Jesus Christ, because we wanted to be saved. But sadly, many of us don't want to participate in that power. We want to touch it. Christ wants us to be part of it. What do you mean part of it? Part of His blood, part of His sacrifice. We need to do that. We need to be able to touch that. In order to experience His resurrection, it requires us to die. It requires a death process, if you will. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Now, I want you to think about that statement. We were buried with Him in baptism into His death. You ever wonder what that baptism was all about? It wasn't about just getting wet. And it wasn't about just being in obedience to our God. But it was about sacrificing my identity to obtain something richer something more. That baptism was the point of contact where the blood of Christ washes my sins away and I step into a new reality, a new way of thinking. And you know, for about four to six weeks, that new reality is very real. I mean, it was something that just took hold of you and, and worked on you. I mean, I understand Matthew or Romans 6, verse 17, where it says, But God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, yet you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became servants or slaves of righteousness. You see, from that, I was set free of the guilt that came with the sin in my life. And I began to experience a new way of thinking. Jesus has called me at baptism to start something new, to start something different, to participate from that point forward in His resurrection. So we want to be in the power of His resurrection. First we have to die. You know, Jesus said a seed is planted and then up from it comes the ground. Unless it's buried, it cannot live. That's the same way with us. Unless we're buried with Him in baptism, we cannot live with Him in His resurrection. So let's think about what He's saying here. In this verse, Romans chapter 3, 6, or 6 3 through 4, it, down in verse 4 it says, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's called you to something more. This country, this world, people around us, society, they want us to be mediocre people. They want to limit 
how we think. They want to limit how we talk. They want to limit how we dress or don't dress. They want to say what's good and what's bad. They want to tell us that there is no heaven and that there is no Jesus. And why are you all worried about it? Today there are more young people leaving the walk of faith than ever before. People are leaving their congregations more than ever before. But you know what I've found in the last 10 years? Our congregations are alive and well. They're growing. And I'll tell you why. Because they're not afraid to speak the truth. They're not afraid to stand up for what Christ wants us to be, for how Christ wants us to behave, to dress, to think. In order to experience the resurrection, we have to experience His death. And then we can move forward into a new life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 begins talking about this new life. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Isn't that interesting? You're baptized, you rise to walk a new life, and he says this is how you do it. You have to present yourself a living sacrifice. What does that mean? You have to shoot me every day? Sorry, <laughs> that's not it. It means I have to let go of what I think I want, what would be good for me and what would be something that I would desire and say, what does my Lord desire of me? How does He want me to be? How can I conform my life to His? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who just sang all those words? <laughs> Bunch of hands went up. Every time I hear that, thank you, Brother Fleming, I now sing that song. <laughs> Did you know you were singing scripture? Did you know you were singing something so profound that maybe you not even realize that you're just singing the words? Those words, nevertheless, you know, I think when you really get to looking, Brent and I were talking, and Sean and I were talking. It's funny, y'all both talked about the same thing, by the way. Sunday mornings are great. You've got a lot of people here, but your Wednesday nights, 80, 90, when your average on Sunday is 120, 130, people, do you know what that means? That means that three-fourths of you are really committed to this congregation. You're really committed to what it means to go to church with these people, your brothers and sisters. It really means that there is somebody who says, yes, it may be a little uncomfortable, but nevertheless, I will be there. I may not be in the best health. 
I may hurt when I walk. I may not think right all the time. But nevertheless, I will be there. You may not want to get up in the morning to come to church. You may not want to stay up a little bit and come to church. You may not want to go knock on your neighbor's door. But nevertheless, why? Because he wills for me to do it. Where are the believers who believe in nevertheless? Are you one of those believers? You know, most people, it's sad to say, don't believe that away. Most believers dabble. Are you a dabbler? You know what a dabbler is, don't you? I recently got on Noom. I don't know if y'all know what Noom is. Noomologists. It's a diet program of counting your calories, basically. But it teaches you about your eating habits, and it teaches you about food choices and portion choices, and hopefully it's going to reprogram my thinking so that I can get the rest of this weight off that I need to get. I want to get down so that, you know, I can walk around and be in a pair of shorts on board a ship during our cruise next year. And not be embarrassed <laughs> by the big old fat legs walking around, right? But as you look at it, you have to commit to something. You have to do something about it. You have to be different. So being risen with Christ is a nevertheless option. I don't like counting my calories. I don't like doing my food deal. But you know, I do it and I find... Last night, I still had calories to burn, you know, spare. I wasn't hungry. It was wild. You know what I found out, though I'm still uncomfortable with the whole process, is the more I do it, the more comfortable I get. It's the same way with working for Christ. The more we do it, the more comfortable we get, and the more comfortable we get, the more we're willing to step out in faith and do a little bit more. And it may not feel right, but nevertheless, I'm going to do it. Nevertheless. So, all of that to get to this. I think I went too far. There you go. We need to participate in the fellowship of his suffering. You're thinking, what? What do you mean I have to suffer? Being with Jesus is supposed to be good. Being with Jesus is supposed to take care of all my problems. Being with Jesus means I don't have to worry, right? Worry about what? My finances? Guaranteed you still have to worry about your finances. You've got to pay your bills, don't you? You still got to buy your groceries, don't you? We still have to have transportation somewhere, and you know, you've got to pay for your house. And you know, by the time it all adds up, it's expensive to live in this world. Jesus didn't say he was going to pay for all that. Jesus is not saying he's going to get you out of debt. In fact, what Jesus says is just the opposite. You are probably going to suffer as a Christian. As a disciple of Christ, you will suffer. Now folks, there's people in India who are suffering a lot worse than I am. There's people... In Nigeria, suffering worse than me. There's people in China suffering worse than me. But you know, the fact is, is my suffering is not theirs and their suffering is not mine. 
My job is to remain faithful with whatever suffering this world brings upon me. Why do we suffer? Because Satan doesn't want us with God. And if he can make you suffer enough, he's got you. Because you'll crack. You'll give up. You'll give in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 24. I love this verse. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and you suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. So part of rising up into the resurrected life out of the grave of baptism is to walk and suffer in Christ. He didn't say, I'm going to get you out of it. He said, I'm going to show you how to get through it. I'm going to show you what's on the other side so that this suffering is just, just seems like a little bit. Folks, it seems like a little bit when I was about this tall and I got baptized in this congregation back when it was at Bruton Road. Brent was there. He may not remember it much. He was a little smaller. And to me, it was but just a blink of an eye. Since then, we've lost people we love. We've seen great members of our congregation who have passed away, elders, deacons. Great men in the faith that we have looked up to have gone on to be with Lord. And yet here we are. We continue on. Life moves forward and Satan finds a way to mess it all up. He messes with your thinking. He messes with your health. He messes with everything you've got. But in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed, not conformed to this world. You know, those are very profound thoughts. Because I will guarantee you, Christians are the one, if they don't step forward, everybody else has stepped back, leaving you up there in the front. You've just volunteered. You've volunteered to take the hit that Satan wants to give to everybody. Because you believe. Because you want that heavenly life. You want that continued existence with God. You want that peace that He offers. And that only comes through living in His resurrected life. Is Jesus dead right now? Then why do we act like it? 
He didn't die to stay in the grave. If he did that, he wouldn't be Christ. And we would be, of, like Paul says, of all men, most miserable. But the truth is, he didn't die and stay in the grave. He was resurrected. And because of that, he shows us how to be transformed. He wants us to be not conformed, but transformed to this world. Look at what he says here. 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You want to know how to transform your thinking and your life? The first thing you got to do is let go. But you say, Sean, that's mine. Really? You really think it's yours? How many people are buying a house? This is the older people. How many people are buying it? Come on, hands up. How many people are, have a house that they're, they're paying? Do you think you own that house? No, you know who owns that house? <laughs> right now the bank does, unless you've got it all paid off. And even then, the government can come take it anytime they want because you didn't pay your taxes right or not enough or they decide to put a highway through there. It's all temporary. Don and I paid off her car when we refinanced the house. We paid off her car. I like to think of that car as ours. You know what? It's just borrowed. It's going to break down. It's going to run out of miles. And pretty soon, I'm going to have to get another car. And you know what? I'm still back in the rat race again. It's just temporary. You know, the hardest concept for Christians is to let go of what this world gives us or says our rights, our wants and needs, our particular way of thinking, our politics. Man, if that's not divided our nation in the last 20 years. Evil. All of it. Why? Because we claim personal ownership of the things that really belong to God. So one of the things we have to do is to let go of this world and the way it thinks and grasp hold of, hold on to what God says is the important things. He says, first off, you've got to love me. And this is how you do it. You let go of the world and the things that are in it. We've got to be transformed. Ephesians 4 verse 23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you renew the spirit of your mind? If I let go of the world, how do I renew my spirit but by being in His Word and finding out what He wants me to be? Does anybody have a regular reading time? I regularly read. I have studies going all the time. But you know, there's personal time. I have a Bible program that on the way to work at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, I listen to on the way to work. And it's reading through the Bible in a year. This is my fourth year to be doing that. And I'll find something interesting, different, things I didn't realize every time I go through it. My personal studies are the same way. How about yours? You know that the more we study, the more we can comprehend. The more we understand how to sacrifice ourselves 
on a daily basis. The more we do that, the more we learn and grow. And then when we look at baptism, it's not just about getting wet. It's not just about washing away my sins. It's so much more. And I read, wow, I have to die, yet not die. You see the depth that comes through all of this? As we grow, when we do that, our mind, our spirit is renewed daily by the way that we look at our Lord and Savior. In Colossians chapter 3.10, it says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Part of reprogramming our mind is reprogramming the way that we think by continual input of the thought patterns we want to have. Scripture gives us those thought patterns. Scripture allows us to begin to exude the Word of God in not only our personal lives, but how we treat others. Anybody ever been cut off in traffic? Going down 635? Anybody ever let fly a few choice thoughts to yourself in the car, out loud? Yeah, there's the world talking for you. How do we reprogram it so that I don't fly off with those things. In fact, how do we reprogram it so that I don't look at them as an evil person, but as somebody who's in a hurry, maybe in an emergency? Now, that doesn't mean that they are, but I don't know. So why do I react in anger when I should be reacting in sympathy? You see the difference? It's looking at people with the benefit of love and doubt of what they're going through, not what I just experienced. That comes through reprogramming of our mind. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. When the guy threw the bottle out the window of water and hit me in the windshield with my wife as we're headed, no, that wasn't fun. She was scared, I was scared, and I thought that guy had lost his nut. But for the most part, we need to learn to reprogram it. We need to learn how to be that real believer. Let me ask you, where are the real believers? You know, the real believers like Job, who when faced with the loss of everything that he owned, the destruction of his entire family and all of their dwelling that they were in, when he finally got down to it, what did he say in Job 1 verse 21? Naked I came. Now this amazes me. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Where are believers like that? I had a young lady come up after my son died and said, I don't understand you. I said, what's the matter? She says, I don't understand why you're not mad. I said, mad at who? He said, mad at God for taking your son. It hit me. My mind, my heart have really been changed by God. Why do we blame God for every bad thing that happens to us? Sometimes it's our own fault. 
Sometimes it's happenstance of life that I think was created because Satan came in and brought sin into the world. If anybody should be blamed, it should be Satan. Not God. You know, when she heard that, she was shocked because she had never looked at life that way before. How about you? Are you blaming God or are you looking at it as Job said, I have nothing when I came in, I can't take nothing with me. It's all the Lord, blessed be His name. Where are the real believers like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were told that they had to bow down to a foreign god, to a foreign idol, and they came up and they said this, but if not, now he's saying, your God's not going to save you because I'm going to throw you in the fire. He said, my God can save me, but if not, I like that. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And true to his word, God, or the, the king, took these guys, bound them, and threw them in the, they had big ovens to heat this big palace, and threw them in there, and they were right. Their God was with them. King looked in there, he says, I, I see three people in there. No, there's a fourth one. I thought we only threw in three. He said, we did. Well, who's that fourth person? He looks kind of like the Son of God. Now, I don't know how they recognized him as the Son of God. That was just, to me, amazing. But he finally called out, Y'all come out of there! And when they did, not a hair was burned, not a singe on their clothes, the ropes were gone, and their God had done what they believed and had faith that he would or could do. But their attitude was, but if he chooses me to die in there, then so be it, I will die for my God. That's basically what he's saying, isn't it? Where are the real believers like John, or like Peter and John? They were preaching. They were brought up before the council, and they were told in no uncertain terms that they were to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, hey, whether it's good to listen to you or to God, it says, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, and we will follow our God. Where are those believers here this morning? Where are we? Where are the believers, the real believers, who are willing to live in the power of His resurrection and bask in the fellowship of His sufferings to be conformed to His death? That we can live and his eternal resurrection from the dead. Folks, the lesson is yours this morning. I pray you're one of those real believers. I pray that you do not let life sweep you up and sweep you away, but that the Lord maintains your hearts, your soul, and you maintain your faith and integrity before him. I can't answer the question for you. Only you can. If we can be of help to you this morning, please come to the front bench, make your desires known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.